Uh, and so a lot of what we're talking about today is just that, too. How in life that we cannot do it alone. And the more and more we try to do that, the more and more we'll fail and be highly disappointed. And so before we get into the text, let me pray, uh, and then we'll get to work. God, thank you so much uh, for this community, for the people that just want to gather together in your name and to learn more about you, and not just to learn more about you, but to take that to see how that affects us in our life and how that will transform and change and heal us. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start off this morning with a little bit of a confession. And it's a confession that uh, in a community like this might blow you away, might, little, might disappoint you a little bit even. And I'm actually preaching at Green Lake at 11, and I'm actually more concerned about that crew because the confession is this. The confession is that I am actually not much of a big fan or lover of the outdoors. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing, right? A, the, the whole idea of climbing a huge hill and then just walking back down never really appeased me, never really attracted me. The whole idea of just sleeping on the ground in a tent while my bed is there waiting for me, that was weird to me. I didn't quite understand that. Or climbing a big rock where if I just fell, I would die, and yet people just climbed this rock. Uh, and, and so all of that never really... Uh, piqued my interest. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. Oh my goodness, he's not very uh, wild at heart, is he? And uh, if you don't get that joke, thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> but I remember I wanted to do something different. I wanted to go on this trip because if it was up to me, it wouldn't be a big old camping trip. It wouldn't be a big backpacking trip. It would actually be uh, a trip to cool cities like uh, New York City, like LA, like San Francisco, uh, Chicago, that is my idea of a vacation uh, or exploration. But this year, I wanted to do something different with a little bit of influence uh, of my colleagues at Bethany. Uh, and I decided to do my first backpacking trip. And, and I wanted to go big, okay? People were suggesting, go, you know, go to the North Cascades, go to Rainier. And I was like, you know, you know I, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go to Montana, and I'm going to go to Glacier National Park. And it was just, uh, I'll just tell you right now, it, that changed everything. It was an incredible week. I went with a friend, uh, his name is Dan, uh, because I knew he was an expert uh, at sleeping outside. Uh, and, and so I was so fortunate to have him come along with me. Uh, but I think he knew that he was in trouble when the first night we're at the bottom of the mountain and I opened up my bag and I said, shoot. And I kind of panicked and he said, what, what, what do you miss, what's going on? And I said, I forgot my loofah. And he was like, oh boy, that's, guys use loofahs. We had a whole debate about that. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole different conversation. But I remember as we were uh, exploring the park, it was so beautiful. It changed everything. Uh, but one memory that really sticks out to me is one day we were walking down the hill and we had our packs on. And I had my trekking poles, and I was coming down, and I did something where I hurt my knee, and it was a, just excruciating pain. Have you ever had one of those physical pains where you physically wanted to, like, vomit? That was the kind of pain that I had. And I remember I was using these, uh, these trekking poles as kind of a walker, where it was like kind of crutches. And it was actually pathetic. And, and I was going down, and I had to tell Dan, I was like, hey, I, I need to stop. 
So we would take breaks. And even in those breaks, I was so frustrated because all I wanted to do was go down the mountain. And so we would get up and we would go back down and then we'd have to stop. And it was getting so frustrating, probably to, to Dan as well. And he said something as we were going down. And he said, Prentice, and this is the part that I'll never forget. He says, Prentice, give me your pack. He says, give me your pack. And I said, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to give you my pack. This thing is like 45 to 50 pounds on top of what you're carrying yourself. There's no way. And as we kept on going back and forth, he was demanding it. And I remember I finally said, you know what? I don't need your help. I can do this by myself. And his response to me is something I'll never forget, something so simple yet so powerful. He says, when I said, I don't need your help, he responded with, yes, you do. You need my help. In that moment, in one of the most physical pains I've ever felt in my entire life till this day, Dan reminded me that I shouldn't be doing it alone that I actually needed help. But like so many of us in this room and myself, I was so quick to refuse that help. And see, some of us in this room, we're experiencing something very similar, maybe not a physical pain, but maybe we're walking around with a heartache, with burdens, with stresses. Maybe life dealt you a deck of cards that you never asked for, and you realized that the life that you desire and the life that, you, that you're actually living, there's a huge space between the two. You know, maybe it's a brokenness in a relationship. Maybe it's a struggle day to day in your finances. Maybe you're battling an addiction, whether it's substance, food, or something sexual related. Maybe you're depressed, ridden, with anxiety, or maybe you're here this morning and you just feel stuck. And the worst part of all of this is not just those feelings of burden and stresses and hardship, is that at the end of the day, you feel like you're experiencing all of that all by yourself. And I would say that is actually the worst part of it all. In our text this morning, the, the, the text this morning, through the life of Moses, that in life we will experience hardships and burdens and stresses. And oftentimes, the quickest thing that we do is we try to solve those problems, those burdens, those stresses, all by ourselves. But we, what we don't realize is that the solutions to all of those issues, those problems, those challenges, cannot be found apart from God or apart from others. And not asking for help, the inability to receive help, will lead to utter exhaustion. And I know we've all felt this before. It leads to hopelessness and an isolation, and it is just unsustainable as we continue walking in life. And in Exodus 18, it teaches us a better way to live. It's a way that is actually more sustainable in our journey of faith. And in the story of Moses, uh, Moses and Jethro, they offer two things. And the first thing in this life of, uh, of hardship, in this journey of trouble, is not to take it upon ourselves, 
but this. Uh, first is to face our problems, which we'll tackle. Uh, second is that we enact solutions. So first, we face our problems. Second, we enact our solutions. But let me give you a little bit of context before we continue. Uh, Moses and the Israelites just defeated the Amalekites, and for right now, it, it's quiet. Israelites haven't faced much quietness, but this is a season of quietness after the defeat of Amalek. And, and then we get to a scene where Moses is visited by his father-in-law Jethro, his wife Zipporah, and his two sons. And they meet in Rephidim, which is just outside of Sinai, the very place they defeated the Malachites. Moses and Jethro, they, they greet each other, and, and as their tradition, two men, they go into the tent, and they go into the tent to kind of catch up in life. And, and Moses tells Jethro about all the incredible things that God has done, the way that God has delivered him and his people through the, from the wrath of Pharaoh, gave them food and water throughout the exile, provided and delivered them in every single need that they had. And up to this point, uh, Moses explains how he led his people through this journey. And let me tell you something. If you know anything about the exile in the story, uh, he didn't deal with the most uh, nicest of people. As a matter of fact, he, he, he was dealing with a bunch of stubborn misfits that had everything to complain about. And when Jethro heard this story of how, how God delivered Moses, uh, that he couldn't help himself. He was a Midianite priest, okay? He was not yet a follower of God of Yahweh. But once he heard the, the wonderful things that Moses explained to him, it says that Jethro couldn't help but to recognize God of the Bible, Yahweh, as the one true God, the God above all other gods. And then there was this mutual blessing that first Jethro was blessed by this understanding that, wow, God of the Bible is the true God based on the story that Moses has told me. Jethro was blessed and he was honored. And then the table kind of flipped around. And, and Jethro looks around at what Moses is doing and offers his son-in-law uh, a piece of advice when it comes to his leadership. Because he says, Moses, what you're doing right now, if you continue, you are going to burn out. You're going to be destroyed. And here's what it says in verse 14. It says, uh, he literally, or rhetorically, he asks Moses, what are you doing? Why are you settling everyone's dispute all by yourself? Basically, what Jethro is asking Moses is, why are you doing all of the work? And at this pace, you're going to burn out. And as a matter of fact, you're not going to do yourself a favor, and you're not going to do any good for the people that you lead. And, and I love Moses' uh, response in verse 15 and 16. He says, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever there's a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. I have to do everything is what Moses is saying. Any trouble, any dispute, it's up to me to figure all of that out. And yet Jethro at this point confronts Moses, forces him to face that problem, the problem that he's convinced that big and small, everything in between, that I, Moses, has to do 
everything. And Jethro knows that at this rate, he is going to be so exhausted. See, many of us in this room, including myself, we can resonate with Moses' attitude. See, in life, with burdens and hardships and troubles, we, we end up not actually inviting people to participate in that with us. As a matter of fact, the very opposite. We push people away. The very time that we need people the most, for some reason, our instinct is to actually not bring them closer, but to push them further and further away, and we become lone rangers. And we take on burdens too big for us to handle. Why? Maybe you're like me. It's because we tell ourselves that we're brave, we're strong, we're fearless. We can do it on our own. But the irony is that the more and more we try to do life alone, the further and further we get from truly experiencing it. And by the way, uh, I believe we push people away. We do this not because we're brave, strong, and fearless. As a matter of fact, the opposite. It's because we're actually afraid and we're filled with fear. A couple things were first, we're afraid uh, of losing. We're afraid of losing control when we allow other people in to help. If we're being honest with ourselves, some of us, myself included, we have control issues, right? And we want to be the controller of our own path, and we want to do things our way. I mean, how can we not? We live in a society filled with messages like, if you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself. Has anyone heard that before? Uh, Absolutely. Create your own destiny. You don't need anybody but yourself. And while these phrases can be motivational and sometimes helpful, it can also produce this obsession that produces fear, that perpetuates fear. Because here's the thing, you see, it's not thinking about the future that gives us the anxiety, it's from our desire to control it. That's what creates fear. And some of us today, we've experienced this. We've allowed this idea of control to take center of our attention. And when we do that, that leaves no space to really hear from God or from others. And guess what? There's deliverance, there's healing, there's restoration waiting for us there amongst God, amongst the other people, yet we're so distracted of letting go of that control, of actually holding on to that control, that we miss the blessing we find in God and through other people. Not because God is withholding it, it's because we're too distracted to even see it. I know that's been my experience. And the remedy to all of this is to live a kingdom life. A kingdom that is so completely upside down and very antithetical to what our culture teaches. You know what the irony is? It's through surrender that we are actually set free. It's through death that we actually experience life. And and when we finally learn to let go, we can finally receive all that God has for us through God and through others. It's the idea of not holding on, but actually letting go. 
And maybe that starts off with a prayer. God, help me to just let go. God, help me to, to give up the things I hold on to so tightly. God, reveal to me what is distracting me from experiencing full life that you have to offer. And second, not only are we uh, uh, afraid uh, of letting go of control, but we're also afraid of this word that I hate, vulnerability. And this can be rephrased uh, in, in different ways. We're afraid to be found out. We're afraid of feeling shame. We're afraid of coming off as weak when we confess our weakness to others. But the core message of the gospel, again, the irony, the core message of the gospel is exactly that. When someone says, wow, that is weak, uh, the Christian answer is, you're absolutely right. Because we understand that we are a people in need. We are a people in need of healing, of forgiveness, of transformation. We are a people in need of a savior. And this, to understand that, changes everything. This is sacred and this is holy. And it's through that confession of weakness and need that, again, we receive strength. Strength to confront all that life has to offer, whether the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. But it starts off with that confession, God, I can't do this alone. God, I need you. God, I am in need. That's the essence of vulnerability. To expose to others, to expose to God, saying that there is a need that I can't handle. Uh, you know, one of the things that we fear the most is vulnerability. But here's the, here's the funny part. Is that the very essence of God's original intentions for humanity for intimacy involves just that. See, in Genesis chapter 2.25, it says that uh, Adam and Eve, they were naked and they were unashamed. First of all, the story is about how God intended creation to be, to be together, to do life with one another. But then in Genesis 2.25, there's this verse that tells us that they were actually naked and, and unashamed. And if we boil that down to just the mere absence of clothing, we're missing the entire point of what that verse means. They were actually naked and unashamed physically and figuratively. There was no shame with one another. There was complete transparency. There was no fear of embarrassment. There was no fear of judgment. There was no fear uh, of, of laughing at one another. It was two people coming together just as they are to be known and to know each other at their very core. See, vulnerability produces that kind of intimacy. It's when we're able to just be naked and unashamed with one another is what produces intimacy. Because here's the thing, you can be driven by love and intimacy, or you can be driven by fear. The sad part is, you can only have one, one driver. Because the reality is that fear and intimacy, they can't coexist. So the question is, what's and who is your driver? Are you going to be driven by fear? 
The fear that you're going to be found out. The fear that you're going to lose control. Or are you going to let go and surrender that and latch on to the life, the shalom, the peace that God has for us? Intimacy. And once we realize we can't do it alone, we have to take steps towards this invitation to a new life, this invitation that allows God and others to be a part of what we can't do. And that gets to our second point is we have to enact solutions. It says we're surrounded by them. See, the discussion between Moses and Jethro offers a very practical way to not only understand that we're in need of others, that we can't do this alone, that we have to let go of our fear and shame, but we have to do something about it. That there's action that's required. See, at this point, Jethro holds a mirror to Moses' face and shows him what his problem is. That's called knowledge. Moses finally has knowledge of what his problem is. And then Jethro offers actual solutions. Not just know what the problem is, now to do something about it. And so Moses' knowledge moves from knowledge to wisdom. And there's a big difference. Knowledge is just having information. We can be filled and filled with information. But wisdom is knowing what to do with it. And both aren't guaranteed. I actually read this quote when I was preparing this message. It says that knowledge is when you, so for example, knowledge is when you notice that your wife is saying something wrong. Wisdom is when you don't mention anything of it at all. I thought that was funny. And so a few observations uh, of our text. We're going to answer these questions of the who, what, and why. It's on your note sheet, too, if you're one of those note-taker types. I'm not, but if you are. We're talking about who, what, and why that helps us actually enact a movement and change in our lives. See, first, the who. This is really important. The solution comes from Jethro, as we talked about earlier. Moses' father-in-law, somebody who recently became a believer. Who recently just became a believer. I would say he would be like the unlikely candidate for someone to receive spiritual advice from. I mean, if you want spiritual advice, if you want to know what to do with your army, your people, the last person you would go to is probably somebody who just became a follower, right? Someone who just became, in our context, a Christian, for them a follower of Yahweh. And this is important for us to understand and see and to really appreciate because oftentimes we're governed by fear and we refuse to listen to voices other than voices that sound just like us. See, we don't want to listen uh, to people with different doctrine, different political views, uh, different worldviews, different ideologies, different ethics. We want to stay safe. And we want to pick and choose who we want to listen to and who God speaks through. And and Moses was so humble, he was so teachable that even life lessons of his faith and of his spiritual journey, he got from somebody who recently just converted to the ways of Yahweh. And what we see here in Moses is that he had a capacity to be a good listener. He was a good listener. He listened to the, to the voices around him. 
He listened to the ways that God might be speaking to him. Instead of closing his ears and just believing and lashing onto the things of himself, the things that he already believes and knows, he actually listens to Jethro, and not only listens to Jethro, but implements what Jethro told him to do, was enact uh, people that will share the load. He was humble. He had a heart that just wanted to grow, and that doesn't come without discernment. My, my encouragement here is that, yes, that we listen to people, all sorts of people, because other people might just have something to offer you. But it's not that we believe everything that we hear. It's that we take it in, we take it through a process of discernment, and allow it to either teach us or you can leave it. But the point is that we're open to learn from others, knowing that God can speak to them, to us. The problem is, a major barrier for us for for asking for help, for, for inviting other people that may even have different perspectives than us, is our lack of humility. We don't believe that everyone has something to offer us. We become stubborn is what my friends often describe me as. We become prideful. But until we believe that God can use anybody to teach us, there will be a limit to our growth. Our transformation will be limited outside the context of the community that God brings our way. We become stubborn. We become prideful. We don't want to listen. But it's that very thing of listening, the art of listening, that helps us to grow, to transform. It kind of reminds me of this old, kind of cheesy Sunday school illustration that I used to hear growing up. And maybe you've heard it before, so so forgive me, about hearing voices. It goes something like this. There's a man who who was warned. Here's a man that was living in a town that was about to be flooded. And his friends go to and knocks on his door and he says, hey, you got to get out of your house because a flood is coming and uh, you're going to drown or you're going to die or, you, or you just, you're not safe. You got to get out of here. And the man closes his ears and he says, you know what? I got it under control. God is going to rescue me. So his friends, they say, all right, suit yourself. I'm out of here. And then the flood started getting higher and higher and he had to actually get out of his house and climb to the roof of his house. And then a guy on a boat comes, and he says, hey, sir, you got to get out of here. Get on the boat. I'm going to help you. Let's go. And he closes his ears, and he says, no, God is going to rescue me. And then a guy says, suit yourself. And then a guy in a helicopter comes, and he says, hey, sir, climb the ladder. You got to get out of here. We got to go. And he says, nope, don't worry about me. God is going to rescue me. The flood got higher. And do you know what happened to that man? He died. All right? And and he goes to heaven, and he says, God, what's up? I thought you were going to rescue me. And God says, are you kidding me? I sent three opportunities for you to be rescued. I sent your friends, I sent the boat, and I sent the the helicopter, and you didn't take one of them because you refused to listen to others. And oftentimes... I find myself in that position. The what. So we go from who, we go to the what. Jethro offers a plan. He tells Moses what he's going, that what he's doing is not working. 
and offers him a plan of action. And so here's kind of his plan of action. Uh, He says, Moses, I want you to pray for your people. That's found in verse 19. He says, Moses, I want you to teach God's truth. That's in verse 20. And then he wants, and then he says, Moses, I want you to appoint others to share the load, verse 21 and 22. And in verse 24 is one of my favorite. He just says, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he asked. What we have to do is we have to not only be open to hearing from people, but we have to actually intentionally surround ourselves with people that will actually speak truth into our lives. That's one of the best things a friend can do. That's one of the best things you can do for a friend. It's not just tell them how awesome they are, but also tell them the ways that they need to be challenged out of love and out of compassion and out of this confidence that I'm sharing this with you because I want to help you. And oftentimes we don't surround ourselves with people like that. Or we don't become people like that because we're afraid of confrontation. We find it difficult to keep people accountability. That's exactly what this is sharing with us. That, that when Jethro approached Moses, he had a plan. And he told him exactly what to do and how to do it. And Moses listened. I remember in seventh grade, I, I had a best friend. A childhood best friend from birth. And I remember he was uh, kind of observing my behavior in middle school. I was kind of acting up. I know that's a surprise to all of you, uh, but I was kind of a rebellious child. And I remember causing trouble in class, not listening to my teachers, falling behind on my schoolwork. And then I remember after eighth grade math class, Mr. Burbank's class, I'll never forget, uh, my friend David, he gives me a note. I grabbed the note and I read it, and he was telling me all the ways that I've kind of been rebellious. And at the end of the note, he says, if you don't clean up your act, my mom says I can't hang out with you anymore. And and I remember how shocked I was to read that. But I tell you what, it was that letter that he wrote that probably changed the trajectory of my middle school and, and really my attitude into high school. Do we have people that will teach us? Not only teach us, but even say the hard things to us in order for us to move from burden, from trial, into this kingdom life of shalom that God calls us to. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's this whole image of the body and God being the head. And Paul talks about that in the Christian life, That life was never meant to be done alone. It just doesn't make sense. We were created to do it with each other in mind. Helping and carrying each other's burden. And yet we oftentimes forget to do that. To do it alone is antithetical to, to really Christ's teaching. See, Christ died for the church. Christ died as an example of love and sacrifice for us, for our people, for his people, to practice, to implement, to give towards one another. And so what I want us to do today is there's a kind of a response. And on your note sheet, there's a response, and it says something like this. It says, the most wearying realm of my life right now is blank. And I'm going to 
invite the uh, worship team if that's, if that's okay. Sorry about the last minute. And, and I want you guys to be thinking about this response. And maybe if you can't do it here, you're going to do it uh, at home. But I want you to fill this out. The most wearying or tiresome, exhausting realm of my life right now is, and I want you to write that down. And then uh, the other side is the step I will take today in light of God's wisdom shown through Moses and Jethro is blank. I'm going to invite my friends into this exhaustion. Maybe it's by name. I'm going to allow God to take control. I'm going to surrender this need for control that I have. Whatever it is, think about that. Even pray about that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you love us so much that you don't want us to do life alone. And many of us, I know it, we're carrying burdens and hardships that we shouldn't be carrying all by ourselves. So God, break through any barriers that we might be holding up in order to allow people to help carry our load exactly the way you intended it to be. So we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the cross and the resurrection that has shown us what love looks like. It's sacrificial. It's giving. And help us to be those kind of people as well. In your name we pray. Amen.